Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we are diving today into a study of tradition number nine. So pull out that incredible survival guide of a sober life called the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions and open it up to the ninth tradition. So as we go through this, we're constantly trying to assimilate the tradition with something about our personal life. I don't really know that there's a clear path to doing that with the ninth tradition, but we are surely going to make a suggestion that way. And I'm deliberately saying suggestion, and you'll know a lot more the reason why here in a few minutes. But the ninth tradition says we ought never be organized, but we may create groups of people that help us organize, I guess. I don't know. It sort of contradicts itself, and it's going to go over that as we dive into this. So how does an organization that's not organized organize so that the organization remains organized? I'm not sure, but they tackled that problem. One of the great things we've heard throughout the traditions is that trial and error is the perfect teacher. Another thing we come to discover is that AAs in the past, particularly in the first 20 years of AA, tried so many of these things that we think of today as perhaps unique. And they encountered answers for us. They tried corporate poverty. They tried building AA hospitals. They tried having AA education. We've tackled the ideas around working or doing AA as a vocation. In any case, they've arrived at these conclusions. So what we can do today is just roll with it. Working to understand the ninth tradition is important. It's important to understand that AA has a goal, a purpose that's really above its goal. And the goal is to offer us all a chance to get sober. But the purpose is that the program itself remain with great integrity. You know, something's got to hold us together. Something's got to hold the fabric of the program together, that way that we're weaved together, wrecked in the same vessel with a common solution. And Tradition 9 is an important part of that because we all sort of want to be in charge, right? We just did Tradition 8 where we talked about how we have to sometimes, why it's important sometimes to get outside help. And that when people work in the world of recovery, they aren't violating AA's traditions. In Tradition 9, we're going to talk about how the program itself, how the groups themselves can work together without giving any individual or group of individuals a so-called governing role. All right, so Tradition 9, let's just dive on in and see what old Bill W. learned before he wrote this down. Tradition 9, AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Seems simple enough, right? When Tradition 9 was first written, it said that Alcoholics Anonymous needs the least possible organization. So there was still some idea that they would organize. There'd be something about it. When Tradition 9 was first written, it said Alcoholics Anonymous needs the least possible organization. So there was an idea that it could be organized. In years since then, we have changed our minds about that. Oh, they learn trial and error. Today, we are able to say with assurance that Alcoholics Anonymous, AA as a whole, not just your group, but like every group, every single thing about AA, should never be organized at all. 
Then, in seeming contradiction, we proceed to create special service boards and committees which in themselves are organized. How, then, can we have an unorganized movement which can and does create a service organization for itself? Scanning this puzzler, people say, what do they mean? No organization. I think we all think that, right? We all think, what in the world is he getting at here? Let's see. Says, well, let's see. Did anyone ever hear of a nation, a church, a political party, even a benevolent association that had no membership rules? Ah, we're getting to the heart of it, right? Did anyone ever hear of a society which couldn't somehow discipline its members and enforce obedience to necessary rules and regulations? He's going to get into it here in a second because AA used to do that. Doesn't nearly every society on earth give authority, the power to give orders, authority hmm, to some of its members to impose obedience upon the rest and to punish or even expel offenders? Therefore, every nation, in fact, every form of society has to be a government administered by human beings has to be organized and managed by human beings. Power to direct or govern is the essence of organization everywhere. And we've visited this idea several times through the traditions. The one I like the best and I want to remind everybody of is that I get to declare myself an AA member and that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. That is it. There isn't anything else. I declare myself a member of AA and I qualify it on the basis that I have a desire to stop drinking, and that's it. No one can tell me I can't be an AA member. Nobody can. This is backing that up and trying to prevent the idea, the notion, the temptation, the way that human beings, not just alcoholics, because we're talking about every type of organization here, the way that human beings really like things to be, you know, neat and tidy and orderly under a set of rules, and if you don't want to go by the darn rules, Get the heck on out of here, right? So he goes on. Yet Alcoholics Anonymous is an exception. We're not going to do it that way. It does not conform to this pattern. Neither its general service conference, its foundation board, nor the humblest group committee can issue a single directive to AA, hmm, a single directive to an AA member and make it stick, let alone meet out any punishment. We've tried it lots of times. There's that trial and error. But utter failure is always the result. So it didn't work out. That's as simple as that. Groups have tried to expel members. Can you imagine that? But the banished have come back to sit in the meeting place saying, this is life for us and you can't keep us out. There's a great story in another tradition. Go hunt it down and read that. Committees have instructed many in AA to stop working on a chronic backslider only to be told, how I do my 12-step work is my business. Who are you to judge? This doesn't mean an AA won't take advice or suggestions from more experienced members, but he surely won't take orders. He will not take orders, and we don't have the right to give them out. Who is more unpopular than the old-time AA, full of wisdom, who moves to another area and tries to tell the group there how to run its business? He and all like him who view with alarm for the good of AA meet the most stubborn resistance, or worse still, Laughter, we just laugh at him like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> Give me a break. We're getting along just fine. We've been here all along before you. We're doing just fine. Anyway, it goes on. You might think AA's headquarters in New York would be an exception. 
Surely the people there would have to have some authority. But long ago, trustees and staff members alike found they could do no more than make suggestions. This is where we get the idea of suggestions. There was a period of time that AA was pious. And these things were not suggestions. They were demands. And they got away from that. And very mild ones at that. So we're not like insisting on these suggestions either, right? They even had to coin a couple of sentences which still go into half the letters they write. And it goes on, of course, you are at perfect liberty to handle this matter any way you please. But the majority experience in AA does seem to suggest our trial and error of other groups in the past seems to show us. Now that attitude is far removed from central government, isn't it? We recognize that Alcoholics Anonymous can't be dictated to individually or collectively. At this juncture, we can hear a churchman exclaim, they are making disobedience a virtue. He is joined by a psychiatrist who says, defiant brats, they won't grow up and conform to social usage. The man in the street says, I don't understand it. They must be nuts. But all these observers have overlooked something unique in Alcoholics Anonymous. Unless each AA member follows to the best of his ability our suggested 12 steps of recovery, he almost certainly signs his own death warrant. So that's a lot different than like getting booted from a church because you think differently. Right? That you're just mad. You leave mad. You know, you might have to change where we eat Sunday breakfast or something like that. Our lives depend on it. Our lives, our literal lives, our social lives, our family lives, our relational lives, our financial lives, our physical life depends on it. Hmm. His drunkenness and disillusion are not penalties inflicted by people in authority. Hmm. They result from his personal disobedience to spiritual principles. The bludgeoning will begin, right? The same stern threat applies to the group itself. Unless there is an approximate conformity to AA's 12 traditions, the group, too, can deteriorate and die. So we of AA do obey spiritual principles, first because we must, and ultimately because we love the kind of life such obedience brings. Great suffering and great love are AA's disciplinarians. Great suffering and great love. I don't like the suffering part, that's for sure. We need no others. It is clear now that we ought never to name boards to govern us, but it is equally clear that we shall always need to authorize workers to serve us. It is the difference between the spirit of vested authority and the spirit of service, two concepts which are sometimes poles apart. It is in this spirit of service that we elect the AA Group's informal rotating committee, the Intergroup Association for the Area, and the General Service Conferences of Alcoholics Anonymous for AA as a whole. Even our foundation, once an independent board, is today directly accountable to our fellowship. Its trustees are the caretakers and expediters of our world services. Just as the aim of each AA member is personal sobriety, that's one of the personal approaches in here, and we're going to talk about this in a second. The aim of our service is to bring sobriety within reach of all who want it. If nobody does the group's chores, if the area's telephone rings unanswered, if we do not reply to our mail, emails today, right? Then AA as we know it would stop. Our communication lines with those who need our help would be broken. AA has to function, but at the same time, it must avoid these dangers of great wealth, prestige, and entrenched power which necessarily tempt other societies. Though Tradition 9 at first seems to deal with a purely practical matter, 
It is actually, in its actual operation, it discloses a society without organization, animated only by the spirit of service, a true fellowship. And what I love about it is that it led us to the personal connection. Even though it doesn't seem to match the tradition itself, there's this personal connection to the idea that if I don't do the steps at least reasonably close, what's at stake isn't just the abolishing out of a group or, you know, rejection by the fellowship or some sort of ostracized, I can't even say the word, being ostracized somehow, right? That's not what's at stake. What's at stake is our lives, our lives. It's huge. And how we affect other people too. So the fact is that we are going to generally do this generally the same way because we want the same result. And when we do that, when we can follow those directions, we'll really get the result. In just recent time, I was working with a sponsee and he did not want to follow directions. Just no matter what it was, he wanted to rewrite the book and do it his own way. And through a series of events and a lot of effort on his part, he finally pushed through that egotistic barrier to success and found those nine-step promises and gave me a call and said, oh my goodness, this is incredible. These things really are true, but he had an interesting question. That is, are we halfway through just the nine steps, like 4.5 steps and I get this amazement? Or is it only at step six, you know, halfway through the 12, which is hilarious in a way. But in any case, it's important that we generally adhere to these rules. The fact is that AA groups do bring in different organized groups. You know, we have things like a group conscience meeting. Sometimes we'll do a group inventory. There could be subcommittees that go out and look for leases and places to meet and things like that. And they do have some authority in that they're going to help us make a decision and they can represent the business side of our group out to lease a building or something like that. And by necessity, They will have to disclose their full name and the intent of the building and what we're going to be doing there. It's just a normal part of regular AA business. Those are not violations of the tradition. The violation of the tradition is when that group decides that they govern other alcoholics. And the the violation of it as an individual is when I think that there is only the one way, my way to do the steps. There we go. There we mess up. So A lot of us have this my way or the highway mentality as we come into AA, right? That there's only one way. And how we can practice the ninth tradition in our personal lives is to back off, is to back way off of that and look to everyone for additional information. The data set is always growing. Patience has this great power and that it allows us to gather more data so we make better decisions, right? So getting out there, thinking about it, thinking about that there's groups of people in our lives that know more about the things that we might need than we do. And we do this stuff all the time. And we talked about in the eighth tradition that we go get outside help. And the ninth tradition is to say, we rely on it. And it's okay to do it. And it's okay for it to be organized in our lives. And that's how we do it. So if you're gonna have a discussion today, talk about how, talk about how, your desire to be in control, your desire to be the number one guy, your desire to be the president of all planet Earth, you know, your desire to run the show, right? Your desire to be that actor and how it works. How has that been hurtful to you? And how is backing off of that? 
and letting other people do what they do, or just being another member of the group, having a simple equal vote, how that has helped tone down the egoism and help you be more patient or maybe not, maybe more frustrated with the pathway to recovery. I hope you have a great discussion.